HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. During this time, it's more important than ever to support our friends and neighbors in the restaurant industry. Restaurant Workers Community Foundation has set up a national COVID-19 crisis relief fund. The money they raise will provide direct relief to individual restaurant workers, support other nonprofits serving restaurant workers in crisis, and offer zero-interest loans for restaurants to get back up and running. Visit restaurantworkerscf.org to donate today. And if you need a little extra motivation, you can DM your $20 donation to RWCF's co-founder, John DeBerry, on Twitter, and he'll give you directions for making a signature quarantine cocktail. Donate now at restaurantworkerscf.org. All right. Hello, this is Lisa Held, and you're listening to The Farm Report, a Heritage Radio Network show about the people, processes, and policies that shape how food is produced today. First, just another reminder that all of us at Heritage are recording our shows remotely, so if the audio quality is a little less than perfect, I apologize. Um, Like everyone at this moment in time, we're making things work while staying far apart. Um, But we are more committed than ever to bringing you important food stories. For now, at the Farm Report, I am continuing our coverage of how farmers and the larger food system are faring in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. So with that in mind, uh, today I have Christopher Wayne, who works for Grow NYC as the Director of Farmer Assistance. Welcome, Chris. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you, and uh, listeners should know that we have been going through major troubleshooting to make this recording (laughs) happen, and I think it's just, like, indicative of this new reality we're all living in where, you know, we're trying to make things work, we're trying to uh, speak differently, interact differently, and and it's just everything is, is a little bit trickier, and we're kind of figuring it all out on the fly, you know? Um, so it's, and I know that this is a really stressful time for Grow NYC, so I appreciate you making the time to chat with me. My pleasure. So let's start with markets. So 
there's a lot of uncertainty across the country right now from city to city about whether farmers markets will stay open or if they'll be shut down. And it's sort of being left up to states and local authorities, which has kind of led to a patchwork of decision making around the country. Um, at this point, New York City is the center, really, of the coronavirus outbreak in the U.S. Can you tell us what the current state of things are in terms of the city's green markets? Sure. Um, so we uh, were deemed an essential service um, uh, by Governor Cuomo um, uh, early on in this process. Um, and in doing so, um, the state set out, sent out clear guidance that um, farmers markets um, were considered essential um, across the state and specifically in New York City. Um, so we have been operating um, under that guidance um, and uh, continue to run our, our, our green markets here in New York City. Um, generally, uh, we've been able to keep a significant portion of our markets open. Uh, in some cases, which I'm happy to elaborate on, we've We've had to make some changes, um, but broadly, uh, the markets that the New York City consumer would expect to see uh, in March and April um, are open and will continue to remain open as long as um, our essential service status remains. And um, we're very proud of that um, and, and um, very happy to be in a position where we can continue to provide um, fresh food from local farms to New York City residents. Yeah, absolutely. And are you seeing increased traffic at markets like the way that, you know, obviously grocery stores right now are selling out of a lot of things? Are more people also going to local markets? You know, I think it's a um, it's a it kind of an ever changing and ever moving target. Um, certainly uh, in, at the very beginning um, of, of this, uh, we, we did see uh, increased foot traffic at our market, I think, as we move towards shelter in place in New York City and um, kind of the slow but steady um, move towards uh, stay at home. Um, people recognized uh you know, a need to stock up. And I think farmers markets, uh, similar to grocery stores and other food retailers um, were, were slammed. Um, and some of those uh, early first few weeks, um, we certainly had increased sales um, at our markets. And um, I, would, I would say that our protein vendors and our grains and um, some of our other non-perishable goods certainly saw uh, significant increases um, in sales moving forward. Um, but but um, over the past couple of weeks, um, that's changed, and I, I think um, you know folks are are really heeding the advice of of the the governor and um, the mayor uh, to to stay in place unless uh, unless they have to. Um, so only when it's essential uh, to be shopping, and and that certainly resulted in um, a change to um, to to how people are shopping and how often they're going out. Um, and in certain cases, you know, we've seen that um, be reflective in, in, in less sales, um, but in other cases, sales remain, remain up. So um, it's kind of a mixed bag, um, certainly that heavy rush at the top. And uh, now, now we see folks um, heeding the advice, flattening the curve, um, and only coming out when it's absolutely necessary. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And are a lot of the farmers at the markets... Um, are you seeing them change the way they're selling at all to accommodate um, 
shoppers. Like for instance, I think I saw one one um, Union Square Green Market farmer who was letting people order in advance and just come pick things up, um, sort of just to kind of minimize like the interaction at the market. Is that something that a lot of people are doing? Yeah, you know, we work for an organization that is is full of very smart, very nimble, uh, very committed people. And very early on in this process, um, we started to put together some, uh, you know, uh, guidance for our farmers on ways that we felt that uh, we could limit exposure um, to COVID-19 at, at farmers markets um, and got out guidance to our farmers very early on um, uh, about ways that they could reorient themselves, practices that they, that they could uh, employ at the markets. Um, that would limit additional exposure. And those are things like very early setting a rule that only producers and their staff can handle products at market. So customers um, can't touch products um, until after they've purchased them. Um, and the stand setup can discourage any, um, any touching, right? So you can set up your stand in a way that has an additional six foot table out front. So um, people can't lean into a stand and grab something. You can have a protective piece of tape or um, or cord to block uh, the market stands. And you can set up your cash register in the front and your products behind you and you become like one of the old 1930s shopkeepers where you go out and pick out every item for folks uh, that way. And um, people have done that um, and it's been working uh, really effectively at market. We see very little, if any, touching of product at markets um, going forward. From, from our operational perspective, we've also done things like um, where possible, expanded the, the footprint of the total market that we're in. Um, and in doing so, spreading farm businesses, individual market stalls and stands, spreading them out, adding uh, six, 10, some places even more space in between those individual stands so that there's no um, kind of line cluster um, and that, um, that people are not encouraged to, to kind of um, meet in groups or anything in those areas, but there's far, there's far more space broadly uh, in the markets where we, where we can. Uh, for people to shop and move around with the advised, you know, six feet of social distancing that way. There's no sampling at markets anymore. Uh, producers must wear protective, protective gloves um, while they're at market and be sanitizing their stands regularly. We're adding and have added uh, sanitation, um, sanitizing stations, um, especially some of our larger markets uh, for shoppers uh, to be able to um, quickly sanitize while they're at market. Um, and look, we're, we're telling people the same thing that the CDC is. If you're feeling sick in any way, stay home. Um, if you have any symptoms, call out of market. Um, and, uh, and so far, um, those guidelines have led to what we feel are incredibly uh, effective and safe places for people to be shopping. Um, and uh, it's just been a wonderful response from our, our shopper community as well. I mean, people being responsive to, to new line spacing, you know, each stand has to in many cases has a chalked out um, six foot space for any lines that form so that people are not lining up um, like sardines shoulder to shoulder like they would normally, but that they're separating themselves significantly that way. Um, and people are thankful and are following those guidelines and responding very well that um, this resource that's been around for 50 years uh, remains open and, and that we're uh, really going above and beyond to ensure people's protection. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a lot of work on your end, just kind of reorganizing all the systems and implementing it. And I mean, it, it you must be 
working a lot a lot of hours to put all these new systems into place really quickly i'd imagine yeah um certainly i'm not going to take credit here kudos go to uh, our green market director um michael hurwitz and our, our two assistants director assistant directors liz liz carollo and cheryl huber our operations uh, staff led by tk and the rest of the regional coordinator team at farmers markets who I've been working 12 to 14 hour days, if not longer, um, all weekend to completely re reorient markets, um, to send out notices to our customer base that we are still open um, and that people um, can come and shop in a safe way. Um, but, but like you said at the top of the call, I mean, we're, we're troubleshooting, we're learning as we go, uh, we're finding best practices quickly because we're running a lot of market days and we learn very quick. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been a huge amount of work, um, and you know it's 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 calling on the on on the passion of of I think why a lot of people work at Grow NYC to begin with because they really care about this and um, they're super responsive um, and it's, it's been really amazing to work in an organization that's been able to so quickly and nimbly respond to this going forward. Yeah, that's great. So. We're going to take a quick break. Um, when we come back, I want to talk to you more about the Farmer Assistance Program um, and what's happening there. We'll be right back. Restaurants employ over 15 million people nationwide. And two-thirds of all restaurants are independently owned and not part of big chains. Yet, currently, these small businesses are not represented in government relief negotiations. Roar is working to change that by fighting for relief opportunities for all restaurants. Roar is advocating for an eight-point plan in New York State that will allow restaurants to reopen and rehire when the time comes. Dozens of industry leaders have signed onto this plan, like Namwa Tea Parlor, Field Trip, Momofuku, and many more of your favorites. You can join them at change.org by searching for Roar, relief opportunities for all restaurants. All right, this is Lisa Held. You're listening to The Farm Report on Heritage Radio Network, and I'm here with Chris from Grow NYC. Before the break, we were talking about green markets in New York City and how they're staying open and how they've been adapting to COVID-19. Chris, I, you know, you really gave me a lot of great information on what's happening at the market level, but I know that you're really focused on farmer assistance, um, a program that used to be called Farm Roots, and you just told me it has, the, the name has been changed. Um, can you give listeners a little bit of background on what what that program is, like what does farmer assistance mean at a place like Grow NYC? Sure. Um, 20 years ago, uh, we started a beginning farmer program uh, exclusively focused on supporting immigrant farmers and helping them start farm businesses uh, in the Northeast. Um, for 11 years, we ran that program and helped start close to 65 immigrant owned farm businesses um, and um, made a name for ourselves and, and got good at what we did. Um, we, in 2011, uh, sent out a broader survey to our green market community and asked them what their, what their needs were um, at market, what were their goals, and you know, what were the things that kept them up, and kept them up at night. 
um, and uh, we had great response and, and um, people People said a lot of things, but one of the big things they said was, "We're planning. I'm planning to retire in the next few years, and I have no identified successor for my farm business." So, um, in 2011, we we expanded our program beyond just the uh, immigrant beginning farmer program to uh, to support the broader uh, green market community with agricultural tech, business technical assistance. So, all 220 or so farmers who sell through the green market now have access to a suite of business development and business technical assistance support um, to help run profitable uh, and sustainable farm businesses. Um, and that uh, looks like a three-legged three stool. It's our beginning farmer program, which is, as I said, is 20 years old, still focuses on uh, marginalized communities and helping them start farm businesses, uh, but now wraps in a uh, land succession and legal support program, which helps producers um, through the process of retirement and the process of retirement that ensures that their business remains in agriculture um, and uh, in many cases can be passed on to a new generation of farmers. Um, and then also our strategic marketing program, which um, provides uh, producers with a, a range of different programming to help them uh, develop uh, new market channels, uh, increase their total gross revenues um, and access markets that best fit their, their business. Um, and I, I, you know, just like everybody else, um, things have changed for us. Um, we, you know, three weeks ago now, uh, put a stop to all in-person meetings, um, which as you can imagine, as a technical assistance team, we love being at farm tables and on farms and at markets working directly with producers. That's some of the best ways for us to get, um, our, our skill set across and, and to help introduce people to new concepts and pass along our information, um, but so that stopped. And, and what's great is all the range of, of, of tools that can still be utilized to, to work with producers. So um, our beginning farmer program, I know did like a virtual land walk with, um, uh, with one of our beginning farmers to do a quick land assessment for a property she was considering renting for this year. Um, our attorney, uh, staff attorney Jack Hornicle has been, you know, on the phone and over email, been providing um, support on land secession and um, and uh, LLC creation and, and various other things for for producers um, just over the phone. Um, and then Eric Hassard, our our strategic marketing manager, has has uh, has been helping producers. Um, Start, start doing online sales and pre-ordering systems. So one of the big ways we see folks, farmers being able to respond to this is to, um, is to find ways to limit the exposure at market by having people pre-order. Um, so if you're at home, you can say, I want two pounds of apples, um, you know, uh, 10 pounds of potatoes and two pounds of carrots. And that bag can be ordered the day before, pre-packed and be available for pickup at the market without any exchange. Of money or, or or anything that way. Um, so, Eric and and myself and uh, a couple software developers um, that, that we're working with um, have started to onboard folks into um, onto systems where where they can make those pre-orders happen. Um, and uh, I think pretty much everybody in the farm community has developed, you know, either developed or expanded their, their either online presence or pre-ordering presence or on-farm pickup or delivery system uh, going forward. And that's um, just out of necessity. 
the food is still being grown and people still need the food and want the food. We're just figuring out new ways to get the food from the farm to people who want it in a way that limits exposure to the coronavirus. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that online shift has been incredible to see and to see how farmers are are making that change so quickly. I mean, I've just been hearing from so many people that are saying, you know, well, we were we had all these restaurant clients, they're gone. So we set up a CSA. Now we're doing home delivery. Like we set it. It's like yeah. the kind of business business planning you would normally do months before, you know, it's almost harvest time and you would be figuring, you know, figuring out your marketing strategies. And it's sort of like, well, we just have to kind of throw all of that out the window and start over. Um, but it does seem like the shift to online sales is, is going to be a big one. Yeah. Um, and so you're you're kind of like shifting your operations in terms of how you assist and train farmers, like doing these virtual land walks and helping them, um, helping them over the phone. In terms of what you're hearing from farmers um, about, like what they need or how they're being affected by COVID, like other than moving things online, is there anything else you're hearing? Um, from the growers themselves about how they're doing and how they've been affected by this whole situation? Yeah, well, look, we, we lost restaurants as a buyer and we lost institutions as a buyer um, for farm businesses. And for, for many growers, that's a significant portion of, of their, their sales um, and their marketing channels. Um, if you add in, you know, uh, in some cases, slower market days, uh, farmers absolutely uh, are taking a hit throughout this process, um, and um, and and that's going to be it's 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 going to be a struggle this year. Um, there's there's new realities out there, but I I think farmers never get enough credit for how nimble and intelligent and flexible they are. Um, the the same type of thinking that that can create uh, you know the type of production innovations that you see on farms. The you know the the remanufacturing of tools and and resources to make make them efficient for your individual farm business is the same type of thinking that these farmers are now applying to their markets, um, and that looks like you know additional collaboration with other farms to feed growing demand for CSA numbers. It looks like um, shared logistics or shared routes down to to new markets that are developing. Um, it looks like a proliferation of you know online sales platforms and and people uh, sending food to aggregation points and, and getting that food to those to those buyers at the same time. So um, there's going to be a, a turning of the industry ship, if you will. Um, but I, I have confidence that our confidence that our growers, who are just incredible people across the board, are going to make that shift and find ways to get food to people. And as much as we can support them from the uh, the technical assistance side, um, that's why we're here. Yeah. And, you know, there's this thing I've been hearing from a lot of farmers and people who work in regional local food distribution that, you know, maybe this moment will get more people interested in local food because it's sort of shining a light on the potential downsides of relying on a global supply chain. Um, what do you think? Are, are you hearing that from New Yorkers? Do you see this as kind of a moment that could shift the way people think about local food more in the future? I think it's, 
I, I think that's a nice thought, and I, I certainly hope so. Um, uh, I, I know that people are, are getting new customers and, um, and that, that hopefully those are our long, our long serving, um, you know, long serving and loyal customers of, of local farmers and local food systems. Um, when folks think back on this crisis, they're going to remember who was there providing food for them. That memory will, will stay for a long time, uh, directly adjacent to the stress and the anxiety. Um, but the hope that I think that, that local farmers have brought to a regional marketplace will, will forever be imprinted in people's minds throughout this. And um, I hope that that, that, that manifests in, in people understanding, you know, I think what all of us at Grow NYC and all of us kind of in the local food system have known for so long is that uh, this, this food is here um, and it's available um, and it's fresh and local and in many cases more delicious than, than other food. Um, right. <laughs> and and at the same time, there are farm businesses, very few farm businesses where people are making a lot of money doing this. Um, and and uh, if, if, if we can put more focus on regional food systems after this, um, it'll be a, a significant silver lining of, of this whole disaster um, that way. I, I do want to add, though, that there's a you know, there's a, a portion of our agricultural workforce that, um, you know, is is is. Uh, is, is left out of a lot of these conversations. And I want to make sure I, I bring this up that, you know, um, you know there's, there's a, a farm worker audience um, out here that um, is uh, in, in many cases, predominantly Spanish speaking, does not have the same access to uh, resources. Um, and right. in a lot of ways have been, have been left out of um, a lot of this early guidance that's come out to help people shift. Um, and I think it's, I think it's uh, a dramatic oversight and something that has to be changed um, very soon. When, when you look at the agricultural workforce of the United States, uh, local food system or um, you know, conventional food system across the, across the range, um, you know, we're, we're looking at a workforce that's predominantly um, Latino um, or immigrant. Um, and those are the people in many ways that are, are growing, raising, producing our food. Um, and uh, I haven't seen the, the amount of resources and uh, the amount of um, engagement of that audience around COVID, coronavirus, the safety impacts, um, the, uh, the need for new practices to be implemented on farms to ensure that those people are safe. Um, these are our highest risk um, populations. These are folks without health insurance who um, are often not speaking the language and then who are not being provided uh, information in an effective way in their language that they can uh, they can quickly summarize, understand, and and implement on the farm. So I I, I just encourage um, agriculture employers, organizations generally to to be taking proactive steps to ensure that safe the safety of their farm workers and um, and making sure that our federal agencies and our local agencies and that our technical assistance providers are thinking. Um, thinking to those populations as well as we offer technical assistance and support. Yeah, no, that's so important. And I think, I mean, you know, a lot of the farm workers you're talking about are, you know, undocumented or part of guest worker programs. And, you know, not only are they potentially left out of conversations about safety, but they're also not going to benefit from many of the policy changes that are, you know, the boosts in unemployment, for instance, or, 
um, you know, some of the programs that are being passed to, to help workers, um, they're not going to benefit from at all. That's um, exactly right. And I think it's a, yeah. I think it's a time where we need our, our philanthropic and foundational, uh, you know, support to step up and, and to, to understand that, um, you know, this is, this is a time where our most vulnerable yet again are at the highest risk and they, they will be the first and the hardest to be impacted by this. And, um, we need support and resources to be going to both the farm side of that, which is your farm workers, your um, your farm owners who are are not predominantly English speaking, um, or who might not have access, like you said, to some of the larger federal resources. But then on the flip side, also on the consumer side, right? The, the first place mm-hmm. where where food access can dry up is is is, is low income neighborhoods, and um, I just I. Um, I really respect the, the folks who are out there um, trying to make, uh, trying to solve, and to solve that um, food access issue. Because again, those are those are the people that will will find it harder to find fresh vegetables faster than, than anyone else. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Chris, thank you so much for your time and um, for all of your work getting fresh food to people all over New York. My pleasure. Um, thanks for the time talking to me, Lisa. And um, yeah, I think, I think this is a, you know, a a critical moment for the local food system and um, looking forward to seeing it all all unfolds. Absolutely. Thank you all so much for listening to the Farm Report on Heritage Radio Network. If you enjoyed the conversation, please subscribe to the podcast, rate it and share it. I'll see you next week. Take care. The Farm Report is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Just enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.